Welcome to Adventures in Evaluation Podcast with James Coyle and Kylie Hutchinson. Hi, I'm James Coyle. I'm an internal evaluator in a large regional health authority in Canada. And I'm Kylie Hutchinson, and I'm an external evaluation consultant also based in Canada. And together we bring you Adventures in Evaluation Podcast. Hey, James, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, this is the uh, congested version of uh, uh, Adventures in Evaluation. I'm just getting over whatever cold I picked up on the plane home from Hawaii. Ooh, how was Kauai? Kauai was great until I broke my toe. And then, you know, the, you know, the, the child's uh, song that the hip bones connected to the whatever. Uh-oh. Break a toe. You can't walk right, you throw out your back, you end up with a cold, so I'd just as soon be back in Hawaii, but you know, we're going to struggle through for this podcast. Well, I got to tell you that our, our little Skype chat room is also congested because there's actually four of us here, which is uh, pretty rare. We've got two special guests on this podcast today. Yeah, I'm stoked about that. Yeah, so we have uh, Tom Pellens from Brussels, and we have Ian Davies from Paris, and we'll let them uh, introduce themselves in a second, but I'll, I'll just kind of uh, explain to our listeners. So we had, we've invited Tom and Ian onto this show because, as you know, uh, in our last episode, I was telling you about how excited I, I was coming back from the African Evaluation Association Conference and really getting a sense that, um, you know, uh, evaluation that we do in North America is a slightly different animal from the monitoring and evaluation or M&E that's practiced in a development context. And so um, enter Tom Pellens from Brussels. And hi, Tom, how are you? Hi, Kylie. It's a pleasure being on the podcast. Yeah, and I'm glad you could be here. So Tom, so did you just want to kind of tell our listeners how you and I connected last fall? Yeah, that was really funny and a bit uh, coincidental. So I uh, just returned like a couple of months ago from uh, from Africa to Belgium, and I was in uh, urgent need for some uh, sports, doing some jogging, and I generally go for uh, podcasts, uh, listening to podcasts when running because I still think jogging is very boring. Uh, so I need a podcast to, to do this. And at the same time, being back in Belgium, I was looking into, okay, what's new in evaluation uh, in, in, in Europe and Belgium? So I was like Googling this and, and I bumped into your podcast. So I started listening to your podcast and then I, I listened to this podcast saying, you saying that you were in Belgium uh, drinking beers. Right. So I said, well, that could be interesting. And uh, we got in contact and then uh, we discussed some evaluation over some Belgian beers. For me, uh, a lot of new things uh, came up that I hadn't heard about and other things that I'd say, yeah, this sounds very familiar. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a good interaction. Yeah, exactly. So, well, actually, maybe we'll bring in Ian now. So, Ian, you're an evaluator based in Paris. Did you want to just introduce yourself briefly? Hi, so I'm, I'm Ian Davies. I'm a practicing evaluator uh, based in Paris. I spent most of my professional career as a civil servant in uh, Canada, which included some evaluation. And over the last 15 years, I've been residing in Europe and working as an independent consultant uh, in international development, uh, as well as in Europe. And my work in international development has obviously included uh, evaluation. I've practiced quite a bit in uh, South America and in Africa, the Middle East, a little less in Asia. So I have you know, a, a partial grasp of what goes on in the world of uh, development and evaluation. 
And I try to stay active with professional evaluation associations. I, I'm past president of the European Evaluation Society, and I'm still quite actively uh, involved with the society in organizing their uh, biannual conference, which will be held in Dublin this October. Very good. Well, it's a pleasure to meet both of you, and um, it, it's it's quite fun to have um, uh, people so uh, uh, far flung joined um, on one call. Tom, you were talking about some of the differences. Um, you know, do you want to expand a little bit on on differences that that you've seen in practice? And um, I think you've also mentioned uh, to Kylie that listening to our podcast, there were some things that sounded familiar, but some things that were quite foreign um, or, or different. Do you want to expand a little bit on on your thoughts there? Yeah, sure. So, so maybe to qualify this a little bit. So when I was working in Africa, I was mainly working in impact evaluation. So when I was listening to the podcast, I was not only uh, hearing differences because I was working in development in Africa. It was also right, because right. I was working in impact evaluation, no, which is a different beast from some other type of evaluations. I was particularly involved in a lot of experimental designs. Uh, no randomized control trials. Right. Um, so, so in that sense, some things that I really thought were different um, are first of all, there is the whole terminology, and I think on your podcast, no, you've talked about this. Like for me, some new language went went open. Like I hadn't heard of utilization focused evaluation or devel developmental evaluation. Mm. So so all this terminology, I was like, ooh, there's definitely something something new going on there. Um, and also there's the, uh, I think, in, in, in the methods, no? Um, uh, when I was looking at, uh, when I was listening to the, the podcast around uh, the rubrics, no? Things that are for me, you know, I hadn't heard about this before. And also just some of the, the key players in evaluation in the U.S. apparently. I, this this uh, may sound like blasphemy, but I hadn't heard of Michael Quinn Patton. Uh, so, <laughs> so in the impact evaluation sphere, we have other rock stars. Yeah. Uh, so that gave me a sense of, are these different worlds? Uh, so, you know, these are some of the differences. Yeah, uh, but so it's... That is, it's, yeah. it's great to hear okay. that there's rock stars in other parts of the world. Um, and you say impact evaluation. And, and I, I don't know, Ian or, or Kylie, I mean, impact evaluation wouldn't seem like a totally foreign you know, term for us. Um, but what is it that's different about it, Ian? This, this is a very interesting uh, question uh, topic because it, it allows one to um, uh, engage in a discussion about the different perspectives uh, of the evaluation enterprise, and, and I call it the, the evaluative enterprise, uh, rather, because um, there are a lot of uh, different galaxies, to use Michael Scriven's term, uh, that, that use uh, methods that cut across a variety of, of disciplines. Uh, be, be they you know, research disciplines, medical disciplines, and, and so on. Now, when typically we talk about um, evaluation, certainly uh, myself as, as a credential evaluation, as an accredited uh, evaluator, um, we tend to talk generally about the uh, uh, universe that pulls together the, the communities of practice 
that uh, have been around uh, fairly visibly for uh, 30 or 40 years, uh, beginning with project and program evaluation, particularly in North America. And uh, these communities have, have grown and expanded, uh, certainly in the 90s uh, in, in Europe, particularly with uh, the European Commission uh, taking on evaluation in a uh, uh, very, very structured and pervasive manner in the mid uh, 90s uh, to include uh, uh, other types of evaluands or objects of evaluation, uh, such as uh, policies, uh, strategies, uh, institutions, organizations, and so on and so forth. So this is, you know, these are the kinds of communities of practice that I'm talking about when I talk about evaluation. And of course, you find these as well in the world of, of uh, development. Uh, historically, again, in the 80s, uh, if you look at USAID, uh, and then progressively in the 90s and in the 2000s, evaluation moved from project to program, to strategies, to policies, uh, and and mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would I would tend not to talk about impact evaluation because you don't evaluate impact. You're always evaluating uh, either a program, an intervention, uh, a, a project, and you might be evaluating the process because you always evaluate process. You don't you don't evaluate results per se. Um, uh, and you might be more interested in what are the impacts of, of the intervention as opposed to uh, outputs or other aspects of the intervention. Um, but certainly uh, evaluating uh, uh, in order to, to try and get a, a handle on what are the uh, uh, effects uh, or, or, or impacts is certainly part, in my view, of the world of, of evaluation. So. So my under, my understanding, like when using my North American hat, when I hear impact evaluation, I would just assume that's an outcome evaluation or a summative evaluation, as it may as it may be called, right? But Tom, my discussions with you is that impact evaluation or impact analysis is generally code for an RCT, which seems to be kind of the gold standard and the predominant form of. Uh, outcome assessment or impact assessment in development. Would you agree with that? So, uh, so I agree with Ian that like impact is one, you know, one thing you can evaluate. No, it's, it's, I think in Africa or in development uh, or in, you know, you can evaluate everything. You can do process evaluations and all these type of evaluation uh, occurred. I do think right now there's a, a lot of uh, impact evaluation or randomized control trials for impact evaluation are very trendy um, and, and they're happening a lot. Uh, because in the whole development sector, there's an emphasis on showing results and impact evaluation fits in this picture. But coming back to your idea of having impact evaluation as something is, that is a summative, like a summative evaluation uh, approach, what I've seen is it, it, it generally is not a summative of how I've seen it applied is that it's not in a summative way, but more in a developmental way. Uh, so where, you know, the evaluator or the researcher, uh, no, because often we're talking about something that is closer to research, um, comes in at a very early stage to see if a certain idea, a new innovation would work, no, uh, and why it would work. 
You know, so a lot of the RCTs that have been uh, um, applied in the in the beginning, like ten years ago, were really to, to look at okay, can we you know, can we change some of the uh, development projects and, and implement some new ideas? And they and they were really coming in the evaluators at the beginning of the of the at the project design phase. So so James, you you work in a large regional health authority and and I'm just curious, I mean how often are you doing RCTs? Because my sense is that they're just not happening to the same degree in North America. Right. Well I mean I come from a research background where, you know, randomized control trials were part and parcel with the pure science of the field I was in. Um and and yet I I mean before I heard about this debate and evaluation about how inappropriate they are sometimes or lashback um, you know uh, to them or them being mandatory in certain countries policies and um, I, I think I just kind of always knew there were limitations to them um, and that you know it was going to be hard to generalize certain things in the quote unquote real world um, so to answer your question um, you know we don't use them a lot. Um, we, we try to where we can, but it's not considered the necessary gold standard in program evaluation. Um, it's certainly considered the gold standard in healthcare for a, a whole bunch of different kinds of quote-unquote evaluation or seeing if there's an effect of a new drug or sure. a certain kind of therapy works. So, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely, you know, ingrained in, in the system I work in. But... Um, we don't have a, a strict demand um, on every evaluation. We we do have an aspect that's got a randomized control trial component to it. I think we, we, we have as much of it as we can where it's affordable and, and, and where it's feasible and where it's considered appropriate. Ian, what are your thoughts on this? Because you, you've worked in uh, sectors over here. Well, I think it's um, a couple of remarks. I, uh, at the outset, uh, uh, there was, I think it was Tom who, who said something about, uh, you know, very different terminologies. Um, because the, the, the world, the universe of evaluative enterprise is very, very diverse. There are a lot of actors. There are a lot of different disciplines uh, practicing in this universe. Um, the terms that are used don't always necessarily mean the same things to everyone. Um, and one of the first things that certainly I try to do uh, in, when I engage in discussions is to make sure I explain clearly what I mean and try to understand clearly what the other person means uh, in the use of terms. However, um, you know, this said, um, I think the question of you know methods, um, you know, that 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 fall under RCTs. Uh, which is, which in turn comes under experimental designs, is, you know, it's a set of methods, uh, it's a design that you know, might be appropriate in some cases, or might be appropriate or not appropriate in others. I don't think it's uh, uh, maybe that useful uh, to use as, as a variable that, that might uh, characterize differences between, you know, what's going on in the world of uh, development uh, broadly writ and practices, for example, in North America. What I can say is that uh, uh, there's general agreement in, in the world of, of evaluation through uh, associations such as the American Evaluation Association, the European Evaluation Society, that there is no such thing as a hierarchy of methods. Um, uh, 
you know, there isn't one best method uh, in all cases. It really, uh, 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 you know, it, it's a definitive, it depends. Uh, you, tell, tell, tell the World yeah. Bank that. <laughs> well, um, you know, I think that uh, uh, Tom again said something very true. He, he used the word, I think, trendy. Yeah. Um, you know, he said, you know, impact assessments or evaluations right now are, are trendy. Um, you know, they're, 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 you know, trends come and go. Uh, you know, we've had outcome madness uh, 10 or 15 mm -hmm. years ago, and then mm -hmm. we had, you know, mad indicator disease. Uh, now it's, uh, you know, results-based management, uh, you know, there was the RCT craze a few years ago. So, I mean, these things come and go. I think what's important is to, um, uh, you know, stick to basics. You start with the question. What's the question? And what is the best way to answer the question? Um, you know, given uh, time, resources, context, given a whole series of other considerations. Um, evaluation so is a very practical enterprise, and so you make the best use uh, of, of the best available methods. Um, you know, one thing that, for example, John Main has, has said on a number of occasions, and John is really the person who's laid out the what we call contribution analysis as a way to try and and uh, you know get you know get evaluative information. And what he said, he said, there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with uh, trying to get at attribution, which is really what typically you try to do with an experimental design. Um, but in, in most cases, most situations, certainly in the world of development, there's just not, they're just not appropriate. You know, they might be in some cases, cash transfers, for example, you see a lot of that. Uh, you know, where the, what we call the, you know, the, the, the factors of production are well known. The program technology is well known and replicable. But in, in a lot of other cases, and I would argue most cases, uh, it's just not, you know, the most uh, or the best approach. So you tend to fall back on approaches such as contribution analysis, for example. Yeah. Yeah, so true, Ian. So a second difference that I observed that um, is kind of similar to the to the one we just discussed is the whole mixed methods debate. And I have to tell you, I was kind of a bit surprised to see that this was still being debated in sessions at uh, last week's conference. And frankly, I've been using mixed methods for 20 years and not really kind of worrying about it. And so I don't know, did you did either of you want to comment on those? Yeah, so so I I find this term mixed methods. I always then ask what what that, that what does that mean? What do you mean with mixed methods when someone says mixed methods? Because in most cases I've just seen mixed methods being used. Even with RCTs, you know, of course there's a huge quantitative component to that. No, that's the the bread and butter of uh, an RCT. But you can easily, and it's often done complement that with qualitative methods. No, you, it's, it's, it's clear that you can't get all the information you want out of, you know, the analysis of quantitative data. So you, you're going to dig deeper. And if you want to have, you know, other kinds of informations, you mix methods. And I think it's a very sensible thing to do. And it often happens. So I wouldn't, for example, never oppose mixed methods to an RCT because you can easily, you know, have a qualitative component to an RCT. Ian? I, I think that certainly from, from my perspective, 
mixed method is, is, is a bit of a misnomer. As, as Tom points out, research generally, evaluation, assessments, uh, you know, regulatory impact assessments, envir- you know, environmental assessments, all you know have typically used different methods: uh, interviews, surveys, uh, all sorts of things. So, it's not so much about mixed methods. Um, and I would just interject as well that the way I tend to use the the qualifiers. Uh, uh, quantitative and qualitative, I apply these only to data. I was going to ask you about that, if that's another healthy debate over there. Well, a method can produce both quantitative and qualitative Mm -hmm. data. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, so I I think that I found useful to restrict the use of that term uh, or those two terms to to, uh, the qualification of data. Now, uh, you know, methods are simply the the, you know the tools that you use to, to get at the data, be it qualitative and or quantitative. Now, Mixed methods for me, and I've, I've had some very interesting discussions with Jennifer Green uh, on this, who's certainly one of our, our leading lights on on the mixed methods approach, is that it's it's not using multiple methods. It's actually being able to integrate in your approach uh, multiple constructs. In other words, uh, uh, when you are thinking, for example, of you know what is uh, a good or performance, you know, what is performance for, let's say, a program, um, you know, you might be using a linear uh, construct. Actually, in development, that's typically the predominant construct. It's a causal construct. It's a simplistic construct. Uh, It's, you know, input process, output, outcomes, impacts, or effects, or whatever else you want to call it. And um, it it um, you know that construct uh, is increasingly found to be very very limited. Uh, it, it it's maybe very useful and applicable to uh, uh, projects, but once you begin to go into more complex uh, evaluations, be they programs or policies, uh, once the scope starts to get bigger, it, it it just does not does a very poor job of of you know trying to uh, meaningfully represent the reality. So um, you might want to still use a a, a performance uh, uh, you know a linear construct linear causal construct for example from for some aspects of what it is that you're trying to assess and use the appropriate modeling techniques such as a logical framework or program logic, and then maybe use some tools to get at data for that particular model. But you might also want to uh, have um, uh, something that's more of a systemic construct and use that as well. Uh, You might want to have an empowerment evaluation related construct, and and you might actually want to uh, uh, generate data and determine findings that you know, can be valued from different perspectives using mm-hmm. different constructs. Now, that obviously means that you're going to get a very rich set of, 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 of findings, but coming to a judgment about what's good, what's better, what's not, uh, you are going to have to draw in considerations from different constructs, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily uh, uh, easy in the sense that it's straightforward and mechanical. On the contrary, it really requires uh, you know, quite a lot of explanation about the logic of the assessment to get at, but you do it as transparently as you can to get at some sort of evaluative uh, uh, conclusion or opinion on that. So I would be much happier if everybody talked about mixed constructs rather than mixed methods. 
So just while we're on the topic of terms, um, one of the ones that's come up a few times is development evaluation. And, you know, I know a little bit about that, um, but not very much because I don't work in the field of development evaluation. Ian, do you want to define uh, for our listeners what that exactly is? Um, they might be thinking about developmental evaluation when they hear that, and it's not the same at all, is it? No. Well, I, I think uh, when, you, when you're talking about development evaluation, you, uh, one generally, at least I do, I think what you mean is evaluation uh, in, in, the, you know, in the field or in the world of international development. I, I think that's what you mean. Uh, developmental evaluation, and here I would suggest to anybody who's interested, uh, you know, uh, Michael Quinn Patton's book on developmental evaluation mm -hmm. is about how can you use the evaluation function as you are uh, developing within an organization, be they programs, policies, or as you are thinking about developing and creating interventions, you know, mm -hmm. how, can, how can an evaluative approach, an evaluative perspective help? So I think these are two very different things. Tom, I'd be interested in knowing what other kind of differences that you've observed between the two kind of areas of evaluation. Say evaluation that you would do in a development context versus okay. evaluation that would happen in a Western context. So I think there are some differences in uh, in topics, of course, that are being evaluated, uh, which is maybe obvious. There are different uh, issues going on in uh, developing countries uh, compared to developed countries. Um, but also, I think one other topic. Uh, that is a different challenge is how, you know, how to involve um, stakeholders. Uh, you know, most of, often the, the, uh, the evaluations in developing countries are a bit, uh, can be donor driven. Uh, that's, that's not completely different in, in, in a context of Euro that I have uh, experienced, but it's a bit more accentuated in uh, uh, in a developing uh, context, uh, what for me may, uh, brings in the challenge of, of, of usage and how do you involve uh, the stakeholders? You no, know? if you you know if, if the donor comes in that says, okay, this has to be evaluated, uh, that doesn't always uh, coincide with the, the demands and the wishes of the, the stakeholders on the ground. So the more external evaluation is pushed, the less. Uh, sometimes it's it's owned uh, in the country, and 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 I think you, you feel that uh, in a developing uh, uh, context. Like I said, in development, uh, what I referred to earlier, there are a lot of moods and trends in the develop uh, in development. Um, so development is something that is interpreted in, in in different ways by different people, and there are different approaches to that. So also in the evaluation field, that you know is translated. I, I think in the 90s, you had a lot of, you know, uh, talk about participatory and doing things in, in participation and that had an effect of on how you were going to do uh, your evaluations. And now it's much more, you know, what I referred to earlier, a, a result agenda, which creates this trend to impact evaluation. So you have this like and these moods and this pendulum. Uh, swings, I think, a little bit more in, in the development context than in I think in American or a European context. And Ian, I can see you nodding your head. Did you want to just comment? Uh, I think uh, what what Tom just just described is absolutely bang on, and I just want to uh, uh, reinforce uh, the, the the fact or, or the facts, at least as I see them, 
uh, for with respect to evaluation carried out in in poor countries or, or you know low and middle income countries. Um, they are, for the most part, as Tom rightly points out, donor-driven. And because donors are from the West, uh, uh, primarily Europe, uh, Western Europe, and North America, uh, th there isn't much difference in the way in which the evaluation uh, typically is sort of carried out. But uh, Tom is absolutely right that... Um, you know, whether or not this, this, you know, the extent to which these evaluations are really of value to the stakeholders, um, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's a bit of a question mark. And I think the, you know, the, the way forward is to, to transfer, uh, uh, is to make sure that evaluations are carried out by the countries and the stakeholders themselves. I, I think that's really uh, you know, we, we hear a lot about country-driven evaluations, partner-driven evaluations, and and but that really needs to actually happen. And for example, as long as you keep paying uh, evaluators in Africa as quote-unquote national evaluators and paying them less than so-called international evaluators, mm -hmm. and there's no basis for that. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, they are just as good, if not way better, because they, they understand and will know the context way better than anybody coming in from the outside. So, you know, as long as you keep paying them differently, I mean, you're just not putting your money where your mouth is, you know, if you really want them to take over. Yeah, that's and that's interesting. There was a real emphasis at last week's conference in Cameroon on developing what they call the VOPES, which are uh, the volunteer, the national evaluation associations, and uh, a lot of capacity building in that in that perspective. Yeah. So, James, we've covered a lot of ground today. We have. <laughs> it it just reminds me how rich the field is with terms, and how um, if I travel outside of my position as a, an evaluator in a large regional health authority, the world is much larger than the system that I operate in. Um, and, and yeah, maybe I'll, I'll ask uh, both uh, um, uh, Ian um, and, and then Tom for your kind of closing thoughts on, on uh, or reflections after our conversation today. Ian? You know, in very many respects, the way in which evaluation is carried out is is more or less the same uh, in international development as it is uh, uh, elsewhere, uh, simply because uh, it is the rich that still carry it out, uh, and that has got to change. However, I, I think there are there there are some fundamental differences between how evaluation has has been carried out and has evolved in North America and elsewhere, and and in Europe to some extent. Uh, the the evaluation um, uh, uh, characteristic I think for North America and I know it relatively well is is it's instrumental it, it's seen as a tool uh, or as a set of tools techniques approaches designs and so on and so forth and that and that's fine and that's how it's applied I think to a large extent in international development but there also there is also a view of evaluation as a democratic process, that evaluation is really a political process and that uh, one of its key features is to create the political space for bringing uh, information and participation to bear on broad and important policy questions that affect the public interest. Now that's, um, uh, I think, a very, very interesting way of thinking and looking at evaluation. And there is literature on that, and there is a, a practical interest in this 
type of, of conception of evaluation, particularly in the world of civil society organizations. But um, it, it, it's not, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not the, the mainstream uh, evaluation that we usually see occurring uh, just about anywhere. But I do think that that's where we should be uh, heading or at least, you know, balancing out the practice uh, by considerations of, of, of values and uh, uh, evaluating, you know, to what extent are things in the public interest? Do they contribute to the public good? Notions of equity and, and so on. I think these are very, very important questions. And taking a solely instrumental perspective, which is, you know, did, did, you know, did we achieve the results? Yes or no? Why? And what works? What doesn't work? I think is only part of, uh, you know, what evaluation has to offer. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop there with, with that <laughs> closing mm. statement. Yeah, maybe a, a final thought from from my part is what we haven't touched about, um, but I, I would like to just put this on the table is this this balance between the purpose of accountability of and learning, you know that that evaluation has, and that's very relevant in a developing country context, and and also related to impact evaluation. Um, so I think there's a I think there's a bit of an overemphasis on the accountability part. I think it's very important, uh, but of course, often these donors want these evaluations because they want to see, uh, you know, they have to prove accountability to as a donor, as a financer. But I think there should be much more emphasis on the learning aspect because here we have this, you know, there, we really don't always know what we're doing there in the developing countries, like in a lot of social contexts. No? And I think evaluation is really important to, to, to help with that. And that's why I'm very interested in this developmental evaluation uh, strategies or approaches. And I, I do think that impact evaluation or randomized controlled trials can play an interesting role there. And because often these RCTs are, are said, yeah, just to evaluate the impact and then show the impact as part of this result agenda. But I don't think that's the case. I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to use these experimental designs to experiment and learn. Uh, there are some, there's limitations, there's important limitations, but I do think it's possible. Uh, and, and I would really encourage everyone to look into that. You know, as I was listening to both Ian and then you, Tom, um, the word um, that I was waiting for you to say um, that, that shows up in a cartoon Michael Kompatton often shows um, by Canadian um, artists, actually, we'll see if we can dig that up, is that shift from accountability improving to um, learning and improving. And as mm -hmm. I was listening to, um, you know, Ian's um, uh, comments there and yours, I was thinking the one thing that we seem to hopefully have in common is that we're here to try and improve the world and figure out the best way to do it um, with the people um, that have the most vested interest in a way that's responsible. Um, and uh, that improvement, as well as proving um, whether something works or not, is that a tightrope we have to walk. So listen, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Um, I, I hope our listeners have too. Um, I'd like to encourage folks uh, to provide feedback um, on our website at adventuresandevaluation.podbean.com, or you can email Kylie and I at adventuresandevaluationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you go to our site, you'll see some links that we'll put up from uh, conversations today. And uh, Tom and Ian really like to thank you for making uh, the time 
to connect with us internationally and, and taking an ongoing interest in our podcast and the listeners. Yeah, I would like to uh, second that. And Ian, I know that we'll see you back on Canadian soil sooner rather than later. And Tom, we're just going to have to work extra hard to bring you bring you over <laughs> here. And uh, we don't have I, I, you know, our beer isn't really the same, but we have. Um, we have good maple syrup, so we can, we can give you. We can give I'm sure you I'll some, enjoy that. Yeah, um, and uh, I just want to take this opportunity to, if I can, to just do a little plug uh, to my small contribution to this whole uh, topic, which is the Evaluation Glossary mobile app that I've mentioned before. So, you, James, you'll know that my bugbear is the overlapping terminology in this whole field, and so uh, I think. Uh, Last week, when I was at the African Evaluation Association conference, I actually collected about another 40 different terms for version two <laughs> of this app. So, um, and I've also uh, made a couple of contacts who are hopefully going to try and find some funding to get some different uh, translations for a multilingual version of this app, which I, I think can kind of help bridge both of these worlds. So, uh, Pablo, I'm counting on you for the Spanish version. And and uh, Marie Gervais is going to be working hard on a French version. And then Mona at UN Women, keeping our fingers crossed that she has some luck with a, an Arabic version. So we'll put the link for that glossary on uh, our webpage as well. Ian, did you want to make a plug as well, too? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, the European Evaluation Society will be holding its uh, 11th biannual uh, conference in Dublin in the first week of October uh, and they this year. And they have good beer. They have good beer there. <laughs> well, listen, we could talk about beer all day. Maybe that's uh, an evaluation of beer is our next podcast, or we have something in the future. Um, we'd like to thank all of you again um, very much, and uh, do encourage listeners to uh, send us a message or uh, provide a comment on your thoughts uh, on what you heard today. So thanks, everybody. Thank you.